Hello and welcome to the LifeGate Free Will Baptist Podcast. We are so glad you could join us today. Our aim is to connect with others and share the good news of the gospel, that God loves us, that Jesus died for the forgiveness of our sins, and that anyone can have eternal life through trusting in Him alone. Now, let's join Pastor Jason for today's message. The book of Titus this morning is where we'll be at towards the end of your New Testament. Much has went on the last several weeks, and uh, of course, you know, we've, we've missed church, and uh, I pray you've missed it too, but uh, we, we missed uh, three weeks in a row. I don't think I've ever done that. Any church I've ever been at, I don't think I've ever missed uh, that many services in a row. Now, I've missed two services in a row. Uh, I've done that before because of weather, and that's what happened the first two services. You know, we had uh, inches of snow each time, but I, I've never... Uh, of course, the last one we were sick, all the half I was in here were sick, so, um, but I don't think I've ever done that before. Uh, since I've been saved, I don't think I've missed three Sundays in a row, but uh, the different times we live in, amen? Book of Titus this morning, I want us to be able to speak, and uh, thank God for uh, social media and some of the th- platforms we can use to get the message out, and I've been very thankful that we have been able to broadcast our services on uh, live stream, that kind of thing, uh, the last several weeks. And so I uh, thank God for that. Titus chapter 1 this morning, we got through a couple weeks ago, we were in Titus chapter 1, we got through the first five verses. And uh, we talked about, um, about God uh, who cannot lie. And he does that, never lie. And it's part of his character. He cannot lie. And uh, God gives us hope in that we have uh, the in hope of eternal life, uh, which uh, God that cannot lie has promised before the world began. That's in verse 2. But we talked about that a couple weeks ago, how God cannot lie as part of his character, some of the character traits about God. And and I want us to be able to continue on some of that, uh, at least through the book of Titus this morning, as we uh, go through this book. It's not necessarily a book that you would normally go through on Sunday morning or if you've, uh, how many of you ever heard a series of on, uh, sermons on the book of Titus on Sunday morning? Now, I've seen it on Sunday night or Wednesday night or a Bible study, that kind of thing during the week somewhere. But the Lord has kind of dealt with my heart about this. And, and I think it's some, some wonderful things out of the Word of God we can get a hold of as a church that God will give us. And really, it's a, a, uh, a format for a healthy church. It, the book of Titus, uh, Paul was writing to uh, Titus. He was a young pastor. He was. Uh, we went through this a couple of weeks ago. He was at the island of Crete. And uh, very different, although some of the message is the same, and uh, I'll point out some of the similarities between Titus and 1 Timothy this morning. But, um, you know, Timothy was also a young man that was under uh, Paul's uh, uh, ministry, if you will. And uh, he was sent to Ephesus, uh, like a a very big metropolis, uh, not necessarily a metropolis, but a, a big city kind of place. And so he was in uh, the metropolitan area, and Titus got dropped off on this little island of Crete. And it wasn't necessarily that little, but it was a lot less people in a very different atmosphere uh, than where Timothy was at. But the message was the same. And so, in fact, some of the uh, characteristics we're going to go through this morning about sound doctrine is the same. And so uh, Titus was there. He had the, um, uh, Paul had put him uh, over 
uh, the ministry there, different ministries there, to be able to set up elders and pastors and be able to get the churches off the ground and get them grounded and rooted in doctrine. And uh, we can see this by the format through, through the book of Titus, that if you follow these things, it was a prescription for a healthy church. And that's what Paul was trying to get across to Titus and, and for Titus to be able to understand and get a hold of that and be able to teach that and help other these pastors to be able to know that. And so I want us to be able to look at this morning, the, to, at the subject this morning of the Christian's soundness. Soundness. And you say, what in the world did he come up with that word at? But we're going to see here in just a minute. If you're in the book of Titus, chapter 1, uh, we read through verse 5 already a couple weeks ago. Let's start off in verse number 6. Tell you what, let's jump back to verse 5 and give you a little bit of a context here. Uh, For this cause I left these, talking to Titus, in Crete, that's Paul talking to Titus, that thou shouldest set in order the things which are wanting or lacking, uh, and to ordain elders in every city as I appointed thee. In other words, he needs you to get these churches established and help them get elders and help them get pastors and help them do these things. And he says, the following few verses here we're going to read, he starts to give the qualifications of those pastors. You don't just go out and, and pick anybody. that's the first person you can find. Well, he looks like a good guy for that. Go, go pick him. He gives some qualifications for pastors. You say, well, I'm not a pastor. That's fine. But you need to know what the qualifications are anyway. And this is why it's in the Word of God. Uh, through inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uh, Paul penned these, and we have them before us today. And it, it starts off in verse number 6, and, and if you go to second, oh, 1 Timothy, excuse me, chapter 3, 1 Timothy chapter 3, it gives some of the same similarities here with bishops, and he mentions the same things twice. It means that the, the qualifications for a pastor are not different if you're in a city or whether you're in the middle of nowhere in some country church where you have just, you have to have, travel, you know, 10 miles to get sunshine. You know, it's just, the standards are the same. The Bible is the same, and the, and the calling is the same. He goes on, verse number 6, and says, If any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly. And I'm going to try to, uh, this may be a little bit more like a Bible study than it is a, a sermon or a preaching service this morning. But I want to explain some of this as we go through it. Now, um, we'll uh, just start off verse number 6. If a man be blameless, if he's going to be a pastor, somebody that the qualifications of a pastor or a man of God to lead the church that he must be blameless. In other words, he doesn't have a cloud of doubt hanging over him. But he also must be the husband of one wife. Now, don't try to read too much into that. Don't get all strung out with that. But I know people have, uh, and that doesn't mean one at a time, by the way. Uh, It it means exactly what it says. Um, Somebody is supposed to be the husband of one wife. And and if you have a living wife, whether you're divorced or or remarried or whatever, um, you've just disqualified yourself from being a pastor of a church. By the word of God. It's not something I'm making up. It's not something that was, you know, uh, just to their little point in time in history. This is the qualifications, the timeless truths that God has given to us this morning through the word of God. And again, I know that uh, most of you in here are not, uh, you know, looking to be a pastor. But you do need to know the qualifications uh, and be uh, understand that, you know, your church or wherever you're at, um, that they need to be qualified because there are a lot of people running around that are unqualified, according to this verse, and others that we're getting ready to read. Um, the husband and one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot and unruly. And now, obviously, if a child leaves the home, if they get old enough that where they leave the home, you're not responsible for them. But the idea was that a pastor, if you were going to choose, if Timothy, you're going to, I mean, Titus, you're going to choose a pastor for a church, you watch him and, and look at his life, 
and if he can't control his own family, if his, if, if his priority is not to see his children get saved and, and his children aren't a priority in his converts lessons or so, and so forth, if his biggest comforts aren't his family, then you need to look somewhere else. He said uh, here that they need to be, have faithful children. Faithful there means believing children. If he hadn't shared the gospel, if he's not able to share the gospel and convince somebody that his own kids that they need to be saved, he'll probably not do very good convincing other people that he doesn't know that they need to be saved as well. Now, that doesn't mean that every kid's going to turn out just right. Like I said before, if a child leaves the nest, you're no longer responsible for them. And so, but it should be, as a rule of thumb, they, they should be heavily influenced by the Word of God. Number seven, for a bishop or a pastor must be blameless. As the steward of God, it shouldn't be in doubt who, about his character. Not self-willed, not soon angry. So he shouldn't fly, have a, a temper that he flies off the handle. And, you know, somebody says, uh, you know, Agent Rogers said one time, it isn't that when somebody gets mad and they, they, you know, fly off the handle, as it were, it's not that they lost their temper. It's actually that they found their temper. And, uh, you know, they, it got the best of them. And it, whatever was on the inside come out. But, uh, uh that's one of the qualifications of a pastor. Not self-willed. It shouldn't be selfish. It ha should not have to be the pastor's way every time we have a meeting. It shouldn't have to be that the pastor is always right. Just because the pastor has these qualifications does not mean he is sinless perfection. Absolutely not. He must not be given to wine. And in other scriptures we can look at, and I believe the Bible teaches not given to wine at all is what that means. Not a striker. He doesn't try to fight all the time. He's not, you know, getting... A scuffle out in the parking lot, not given the filthy lucre. He can't be bribed. He, you know, he's not there for the money. It shouldn't be a, a characteristics that that you look at and say, "Well, he's just nobody should be able to accuse you of that." And I don't think anybody here would of me, at least not yet. But a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men. Now, good men can also be translated good things, and it's only natural to think that. If, uh, if somebody is saved and he's born again, he's a pastor of a church and he's uh, there, he should be hospitable, right? He should be able to welcome people in. And uh, the Bible says in 1 Timothy, apt to teach. He should be somebody that you, that's easy to be around. Now, I may not be all that easy to be around, but I want to be. You know, I want to be hospitable. I want people to be able to come to me. And one of the things I've always strived to be is I want to be approachable. I've been in churches where the, the, the pastor's like over here and the congregation's over there. And it's this big gulf in between. If you want to go talk to the pastor, you got to go through this process, this process, this process, fill out this paperwork, and then you may get to speak to him, maybe. He might get you an email, maybe, something. I've always wanted to be approachable. And I believe that's one of the requirements of being a pastor. You need to be approachable. And the lover of good things or lover of good men uh, means that only naturally, if somebody is uh, supposed to be born again, he's supposed to be saved, he's supposed to be the pastor of this church. And Timothy and Titus, if you watch his life, he shouldn't be have bad things going on in his life. What I mean by that is if, if, he's, if, if he's a lover of good things, if he loves a good God and he serves a good God, he shouldn't be going out and doing things that are bad. It should be a, a part of his life, a ha habits of his life should be good. It should reflect where he is with God. It should line up where, where, where he is with God. He should be sober. And that doesn't mean like alcoholic sober. It means that he should be um, uh, level-headed, as it were. Just. 
You shouldn't have to worry about if you you know, hesitation to trust him or not. He should have the kind of character where you can be around him a while and you can understand that, yeah, I can probably trust this guy because he's following God for the best of his ability. He's holy. That doesn't mean, notice there, it's not a capital holy. He's not holier than thou. There is nobody here on earth that is sinless perfection except Jesus. There's nobody you can go to in some boxes, nobody can go to on any throne anywhere in the world, and that they sit on a certain spot or do a certain thing or drink a certain thing or do whatever they want to do, they are never sinless perfection. They will never be without sin, and no pastor is. Temperate. He shouldn't fly off the handle. He should be uh, slow in his responses, as it were. He shouldn't just you know, immediately lash out at somebody. Verse number nine, almost finished with these, okay? We can, we can beat pastors up after this. Holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able to, by sound doctrine, both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. I want you to underline that word, sound doctrine. In fact, he mentioned sound doctrine, uh, sound in the faith. We're going to look at it a little bit later. Sound doctrine again in the next chapter, chapter 2, verse 1. Uh, sound in speech in verse number 8, chapter 2. Um, he talks about having sound doctrine. What does sound doctrine mean? He means to be, be solid. It means to be something that has a very firm foundation, something that's not going to move. I don't have to worry about if, if the storms of life come and you know the culture changes and, and things changes and situations change and definitions of words change and all this stuff starts to change and no longer just all of a sudden, well, the Bible's not, you know, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't make sense anymore. And so we just, don't, we just don't follow it anymore because it doesn't make sense anymore. No, he said sound doctrine will always be in style with God. It may not be in style with the culture, but it will always be in style with God. By sound doctrine, foundational doctrine, the stuff that we know is true, we should follow. He should be able to uh, exhort and also convince the gainsayers. Verse number 10 for there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who pervert whole houses, teaching things which ought not they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. One of themselves, even a prophet of their own. In other words, somebody's given a testimony. Uh, apparently somebody that got saved out of that lifestyle. The Christians are always liars. Evil beast. Not just a beast, but he's an evil beast. Slow bellies. It means that he is a, a lazy glutton. Or he, he is, one other place in the New Testament said that their, their God is their belly. It doesn't mean that all they think about is food. It means all they think about is self. Well, how can I benefit me? You've been around people like that. I've been around people like that. And their angle is whatever benefits them, that's what they're going to do. Like so-and-so, you know, somebody's name, all they care about is, and you use their name again. Because they, they care about themselves. That's what they're after. That's what they're trying to benefit. That's the kind of um, atmosphere that Titus was getting ready to go into or is into. And uh, those are the kind of people he's dealing with. Verse 13, this witness is true. And Paul testifies, I've seen it. It's been that way. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. I underline that again in my Bible, sound in the faith. What does sound mean? Sound means foundational. Sound means something that will not move, something that, that is there, that is permanent, if you will. The doctrine of God that is permanent, that will go across uh, the time and space and go across cultures and go across different uh, geographical places in the world, different cultures in the world, different languages in the world, and will remain the same no matter where you're at. Sound doctrine. 
not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men that turn from the truth unto the pure, but turn unto the truth, turn from the truth. Unto the pure all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. But even their mind and their conscience is defiled. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable, disobedient unto every good work or reprobate. It ended pretty rough, didn't it? Let's bear our heads for prayer this morning and see what God has for us. Father, we pray that you would lead us today. We pray, God, that you would take your word and uh, make it come alive in our hearts and lives. I pray, Holy Spirit, you'd help me to speak on the outside as you speak on the inside. Give me the words to say on the outside, Lord. Lead me, direct me, hide me behind the cross, Lord, today. They might see you instead of me. God, may you meet with us today about being a sound Christian or the Christian soundness today. Help us, Lord, uh, to follow you and serve you and, and go forward in the fight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Just a couple of things I want to point out this morning about this passage as we go through it this morning. It, it's very different in topics. You know, you could, should, you know, you could almost do one sermon on on chapters uh, this verses uh, six through nine, talking about the qualifications of a pastor. You know, we can go off on that all day. The rest of the day, we can talk about that and the different examples that we have in our world today that uh, maybe not following, maybe they are. And then we could go on and talk about false teachers. Uh, you know, the rest of the time. And then finally, we can talk about. You know, uh, those that if their works don't line up with their faith, then uh, they're fake. And so we could kind of divide it that way. But this morning I want to point out three different things that the Lord dealt with my heart about. And the first of all, it kind of does follow that. But the first thing I want you to see this morning is sound doctrine. The reason that, that God led Paul to be able to write this, tem this letter to Titus and the reason that Titus was able to follow this, and Titus has uh, good news to share with us this morning that we read this morning, is that God wants us to be able to have a standard to go by. Sound doctrine is the standard for the Christian life. That we must have something that we go by, something that we have rules by, something that we have laws by, and that the standard that we have as Christians is standard for a somebody that's going to stand up in front of other people that, are, that is called by God. There must be some requirements put on their life that line up with the Scriptures, and it's called sound doctrine. And people that, that stand behind any pulpit anywhere in America or anywhere in the world have these same standards that we just read this morning, that we have something we have to go by. This is called sound doctrine, a, a standard. The Word of God is the standard. You know, what does it mean that what does doctrine mean? You know, I kind of throw that word around a little bit here this morning, but you know, what does doctrine really mean? And I've had people tell me, like, well, I don't want to be preaching doctrine, you know, I just want him to preach. You know, uh, well, preaching is doctrine. Doctrine is, is um, it, it comes from the Latin word meaning teaching or instruction, it is uh, the clarification of beliefs or a body of teachings or instructions, it is practical principles and positions that are taught from the Bible. These are doctrines. These are th they're teachings. These are the things. This is why we do what we do. That is doctrine. There are some major doctrines we can go over, and there's a major doctrines that, you know, I can get along with a lot of different religions about a lot of different stuff, but one of the main things that we cannot, cannot, cannot disagree on if we're going to get along at all is salvation. And that's what they were disagreeing about here in verses 9 through uh, about 13. They were disagreeing about the, the justification, what it takes to be justified before God. What does it really mean to have salvation? What does it really mean to go to heaven? What are the prerequisites, the doctrines, if you will, that are required for us to be able to go to heaven? 
And that's what it's talking about here. And that's what he gives the qualifications of a pastor. What is sound doctrine? First of all, there must be a standard. There must be a standard of right and wrong. In fact, if you go to their constitution or a bill of rights or, or whatever you want to take there, the, they were heavily influenced. They're not Bible. They're not inspired by God. But they are heavily influenced by the Ten Commandments and the Old Testament and the New Testament. Some of the laws we have on the books today are heavily influenced by the Word of God. The standard bearer. This, this is sound doctrine. The standard that we have is in the book you have in your lap this morning, and the Word of God. This is our standard we must go by. There must be a standard of right and wrong. This is why God gave the Ten Commandments, because the people in the Old Testament, the children of Israel, needed to know what God's standard was, what God expected. And by the way, when we get the Ten Commandments, none of us can keep the Ten Commandments because they were given for us to be able to understand and to know that we cannot keep the Ten Commandments and all of us fall short, that none of us reach the standard of God. But we must have a standard. If you remove the standard, it goes into chaos. It's almost like a, the slippery slope argument, if you will. If you can picture yourself at the top of a, a sliding board on the kids' playground, you know, I still get on those when my kids are small, I have an excuse, right? And so if I get on this big, tall sliding board and I get right at the top and I'm holding my hands on the side, and what do you have to do to go off? Nothing, just scoot up a little bit, right? You just right off of there. What happens when you start going? What do you have to do to keep going? Nothing. I mean, here I go. Go splash in the mud puddle at the bottom or whatever, run over a kid, whatever. You know, you don't have to do anything. But it's really hard when you start going off the slide to try to stop. And I've tried to do that, and, you know, and I'm, 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 I weigh a whole lot more than my hands can stop. So, you know, they just kind of squeak all the way down and it hurts. Or I let go and go. That's what happens in society when we remove the standard. There must be a standard to be able to keep us going the right direction. If not, we're just going off the slide because nobody has any inkling of right and wrong. And God begins to give standards here for those that are pastors in particular, but he gives standards for us to live by throughout the rest of the Bible as Christians. This is a standard that we go by. We must have standards. If we don't, if we try to remove the standard, you know, when I was a kid, I, I never heard Maybe I was ignorant. Maybe I was just, you know, grew up very sheltered. I don't know. I never heard the word transgender. I just didn't. I'm just being honest this morning. I'm not trying to pick on anybody, but I never heard it. I just didn't hear it. I didn't hear it 10 years ago. Now, I may have known what it was or something 10 years ago. Hopefully, I did. I'm not, hopefully, I'm not that ignorant. But, you know, maybe I didn't know what it was 10 years ago. But if you remove the standard, let me ask you a question this morning. How many genders are there? We have a standard that tells us how many there are. But if you remove the standard, if we just take and drop that in the trash can somewhere and we come up with our own standard, there can be four, five, six, seven, who knows? Two and a half, you know. We can come up with all kinds of stuff. <coughs> My point this morning is not to start a big controversial uh, fight this morning. My point is to say that when... Paul wrote to Timothy, there must be a standard for Christian living, and here it is, and we must have the standard. You may not like the standard. You may not agree with the standard all the time. You may not even like what it says all the time. You may be upset because somebody you know has been disqualified by the standards that God has put out here. It doesn't matter because the standard is still there, and the standard is required. We must have a standard to be able to know what's right and what's wrong. 
Jesus said, you know, because he came, they no longer have an excuse. Because he came, they know that they're sin, sinners and they no longer have, their sin is no longer covered. They can't plead ignorance anymore because now they have a standard. The standard remains even if the culture changes. How many of you know culture has really changed? Like styles change? When I was a kid, you know, I had to wear high water sometimes because I had, you know, hand-me-downs and some of us are taller than others or whatever. And, you know, sometimes on sock show, you know, my, they, they, back then when I was a kid, it was called high waters. I don't know what it's called now. Today it's called cool is what it's called. But anyway, they're in now, you know. Some dude can walk around through the mall and, and he, he wore pants like I used to wear when I was a kid. You can see his socks when he's standing straight up. And it wasn't cool when I was a kid. You were laughed at for having high waters, you know, and when's the flood coming and all that stuff, you know. But now it's cool because styles changed. Cultures change. Language change. Definitions of words change. One of the amazing things I, I thought about, you know, uh, the word dinosaur. If I say the word dinosaur this morning, you know, somebody's probably thinking their old car or, or somebody's grandmother or, you know, whatever. But we know what a dinosaur is. You know, before 18-something, there, there wasn't even what in the dictionary called dinosaur. It wasn't even around. Words change and meanings change. But the standard, the Word of God has never changed. It doesn't change. And thank God it doesn't. Amen. Knock that thing off again. Thank God the Word of God never changes. But the standard remains even if the culture changes. Now, he said that the husband and one wife, he didn't mean one at a time. He didn't mean, you know, because there was polygamy back then. There was. But nobody in the church, after they got saved, that was a common practice to have more than one wife in the church. That, just, that wasn't part of the Christian church. So he's not talking about one at a time. He's not talking about polygamy. He, he's putting a standard down there for us to be able to follow, just like the rest of them. He must be uh, given to hospitality. He must not be uh, given to wine. He must not be a striker. He must not be given to filthy lucre. Any of those things would disqualify. But we would never know if we do not have a standard. There must be a standard of right and wrong. Second of all, there must the standard remains even if the culture changes. Now, who knows what the next buzzword is going to be? Who knows what the next politically correct thing is going to be coming down, you know, a year from now, two years from now? Well, who knows what the next buzzword is going to be? Who knows what the next style is going to be, you know? I don't know if it's in style now. Back when I was a kid in the 90s, you know, that people had their pants hanging down all the time. And, you know, their pants would hang down. And, you know, if they went much lower, they'd have them hang behind them on a string somewhere, dragging them around. But that style went away. A new style came in. The styles always change. You can't go by the style with your Christian life. You can't go by what's popular in the Christian life. Well, this is really hip in churches today. We're getting a lot of people coming in. Oh, really? Is the standard the same? Or I mean, it's, it's fine if you want to use new methods and that kind of thing. But the standard must remain the same. The Word of God never changes, even though the culture does. God's man must hold his life in line with the Word of God. If a pastor gets up and he begins to teach something that's obviously, if it's, it's opposite of what the Bible says or just a little bit shady, what the Bible says, he must hold his life in line with the Word of God. When it comes to my opinion and what I think and some things, you know, I, I told you this morning in Sunday school, there's a lot of stuff about God I don't understand. 
You know, and I don't think we can understand everything about God and the holiness of God and the providence of God and, and the, the, the free will of man, how all that mixes together and how, how God is in complete control, but yet I have choices I can make and that kind of thing. And I don't understand why God does some things to some people and other people have other things happen and some people have it seemingly very easy and then other people have it extremely hard. And I don't understand how all that stuff goes together and how it happens. But I know God is real and I know God is true and I know God is sovereign. And I know the Word of God never changes. And I don't, it, it, whether I understand it fully or not, when it comes to my opinion or the Word of God, we have to go with the Word of God. There's a standard that, that doesn't change that we must go with, even if the culture changes, even if I disagree with it. It is the standard of God's Word. And one of the main things Paul was getting across to Titus, and he was writing this letter under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that they must have foundational faith, something that they can stand on, something they can rely on that does not change, that does not move, and then they go on with their Christian life from there. Sound doctrine must be the Word of God. The sound doctrine must be the standard that we go by. Let me go on to the second thing here real quickly, and I, I know I've, I've chased a lot of rabbits this morning. I haven't caught any. Uh, number two is we see sound doctrine. Second of all, we see the sufficiency of salvation. If you read verses 10 through 14, I'm not going to read those again, but he was talking about people that were Jews that were adding in circumcision, some of the Old Testament stuff that they had to continue to follow, the sacrifices and that kind of thing. There were other people that were adding other stuff outside of anything that was in the Bible. They were adding to the gospel. They were adding to the message that Jesus alone can save your soul. And they said, that's not sufficient enough, that you must do something else along with that, that you must be water baptized, or you must have a church membership, or you must have this, or you must do that, or you must participate in this sacrifice. You must get circumcised. You must have your family do this. You must go do that. And they were adding stuff to the salvation message. And Paul says it's hogwash is what it is. He said, for they are unruly and vain talkers, especially those of the circumcision. For their mouths must be stopped who subvert whole houses. And he's not talking about being violent, but he is talking about standing up against false religion and false teachings. And one, like I said before, I can get along with a lot of people about a lot of stuff, but as soon as we start talking about there's a different way to heaven, we're going to have a whoop, 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 whoop. We have to wait, hold the brake. Because there's only one way to heaven. And if Jesus Christ is not sufficient for salvation, there must be something else that we have to add to him. And that's just simply not scriptural and it's simply not true. The sufficiency of salvation, Paul said, you must make sure that you put your foot down in this area of, the, of salvation and sanctification and sound doctrine. That their sufficiency of Christ is all we need for salvation. That is this, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ is enough to save your soul. It is sufficient to save your soul and to get you to heaven one day. It is all that is required for you to be able to go to heaven one day. That's all you need. They were adding to the gospel of Christ. What Christ has done alone was not enough to save your soul. And the truth of the matter is that's a lie. It's something Satan's come up with to try to trip us up to get us away from the gospel of Christ. It is never Christ plus something else. This is why we've had the Protestant Reformation, by the way. It's not Christ plus this. It's not Christ plus that. Christ plus anything equals zero. Because Christ alone is the only reason that we can go to heaven. If Christ alone is not sufficient enough to save your soul and mine, God made a mistake. And God didn't fully offer us salvation. Because if he did, he offered us 
by grace through faith are you saved, that not of your works, not of yourself. Um, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any should boast. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, God is no, lie, no man's debtor, and he's no man's liar. And God promises if we put our faith and trust in him, he alone will save us. It's not Christ plus something else. It's not Christ plus the blessing of a priest or blessing of a pastor or your name on some membership role or a baptism certificate or whatever it is you want to put in there. In Christ alone are we saved. It is not enough just to believe that man, believe that he was a man that lived long ago, that he was a man that died on the cross. It is not just enough to believe that he was some religious leader somewhere, but you must believe on him and nothing else. You must believe on him as being the son of God that, that sacrificially give himself vicariously for your sin, in your place for your sin on the cross that day when he died. He died for your sin and for my sin. It's not Jesus plus something else. How many of you like going to the doctor? I hate going to the doctor, especially when it's physical time. I just, you know, I already know what they're going to say. I get in there, they start to pinch and pull and prod, and they said, sir, you're too fat. And they don't sugarcoat nothing. I mean, in fact, sugar's off my limit. You know, I can't have any more. I'm too fat. I need to lose weight. And what else did they tell you? Exercise, right? You need to eat right. Diet and exercise is what they, the two things I always come away with. I think they told me that my whole I think I could go in and look like a skeleton, and they would probably tell me the same thing, you know. And does anybody else have that or just do that to me? Okay, all right, I, I just, you know, I thought I was in my own, own little world there for a second. You know, has anybody else have the same thing happen to you? They tell me diet and exercise. It's not enough if you want to starve yourself and eat I mean, anything that's green and anything that used to be green is brown now. You know, they call it fiber or something now. And you either eat something green or, or cardboard. And not, you can't just do that and get by. you got to do something else. you got to start get exercise. Well, I, you just, I just feel awesome after I leave the doctor, don't you? You're either going to do diet and exercise or you're going to die. Or you're going to have to be on these medications the rest of your life to try to get you straightened back out. But they always tell you it's not just one thing you can do. You've got to do a couple things. You've got to do a bunch of different things. And, and usually for me anyway, personally, it's always diet and exercise. Diet and exercise. I've got to run myself to death and I, I eat like a cow or a horse or, you know, a goat or something. I, I only can eat green stuff. But salvation is not that way, Amen. When you come to Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you come before him and you realize by the standard that you're a sinner. God, I read the Ten Commandments and you know, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't do so well. You know, I come to Romans 3.23 and for all of sin come short of the glory of God. There comes Romans 3.10, there's none righteous, no, not one. And God, I begin to compare myself with the standard of God and I don't add up so well. I don't do so good. I don't look so hot. But then while, I, yet we, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, Romans 5, 8. And I see the mercy of God, and God offers me the free gift of salvation based upon his standard of righteousness that Jesus Christ does alone is enough to save my soul. And I come before him. I give my heart and life to him. I, I pray a simple prayer, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. Come into my heart and life and save me. It can be that simple. And based upon the word of God, that Jesus Christ is enough. God supplies the grace. I supply the faith. If I exercise faith in Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior, 
I accept him as my personal Lord and Savior. The Bible says I can for sure know him as my personal Lord and Savior. The, Christ, the sufficiency of Christ is all we need. It's not Christ plus something else. I don't care what the culture says. It doesn't matter what our society may say. It doesn't matter what may be hip or in style or cool or hip or, or funny or rad or bad or you know, good or whatever, whatever name we come up with next. The sufficiency of Christ is all we ever need to go to heaven. It's the only way you can go. There's nothing else. When you add something else to it, you ruin it. It would be like me having, I've had to do a lot of, uh, not a lot, but I've done some cake mix. Uh, my wife calls me her sous chef, you know, and I, I basically clean the dishes after she's done. I think that's why she does that. But anyway, um, I try to help her make stuff. You know, I'll mix this or mix that, and she, she's the brains of the outfit by far. I have no idea what I'm doing. I don't have a trained palate. Everything, you know, it, it tastes the same to me. I don't know. It, I, it's either salty, sweet, or somewhere in between. You know, that's basically all my vocabulary as far as taste. And so I, I do what she tells me to do, and I start to do this, I start to do that. And if I mess up from the, the recipe, I have the cake batter here ready to pour in the pan. And I said, well, I think it needs a little color. So I will get some, some chili powder, and I'll put some in there just so we can see we can get a little color in it. Is that going to work out very well? If I add anything to it, I'm going to mess it up. Now, somebody that's cooking can make it add something to it, but I can't add anything to it because I'm going to mess it up. The same thing is true with salvation. If you try to add anything to it in and of yourself, anything that I can bring, anything that I can do, God, well, I've done this much good and I've done this much bad, so, Lord, can you take the good that I've done and kind of apply it to the bad and kind of cancel each other out? It doesn't work that way, friend, because we have a whole lot more bad than we ever have good, and the only thing we can come to Christ with is all the broken pieces of my life, but he must have all the pieces, and I can lay all the pieces out before God, and he says he'll take my life and he'll change it, and he'll save my soul. He'll put me back together. Let me go on to the third thing here real quickly. We see sound doctrine. We see sufficiency of Christ. The third thing I want you to see this morning is to be sound in faith, to be solid, to be foundational, to be unmovable in my faith. If there's one thing the devil wants to trip us up in, it's your faith. It can happen through situations. It can happen through hard times. It can happen through dark days. And we've seen a, a lot of all of them lately, haven't we? And the devil tries to get a hold of us in any way he can. And one of the tactics he was using here in uh, the, the Cretan Islands was that he was trying to get people all messed up and believing different stuff and adding stuff to the faith and people that were unqualified doing qualified stuff and, and they, were, they had a mess. And he wrote to Titus to straighten all this stuff out. And he gets to verse number 14 and 15, 16, 4, uh, 15 and 16. And I want you to see these verses with me. And it's kind of unusual, the wording of these verses. If you stop and think about verse 15, you get to scratching your head. It's like, what is he talking about? Unto the pure, all things are pure. But unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. But even their mind, their conscience are defiled. He's talking about people that have added to the faith of the gospel. He's talking about people that have veered off into teaching false doctrine. One of the ways you can tell that by verse number 11 is ultimately you can follow where the money goes. I don't care how good of a preacher or evangelist he is, when he gets to the money part, how he handles the money is going to make a difference where he is. You can tell where his allegiance lies when they start talking about where the money, you can follow the money trail and kind of see where people are. For filthy lucre's sake. In verse 15, it says, The pure, all things are pure, 
What he means by that is, if I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior and, and I'm trusting in the sufficiency of Christ and I'm learning sound doctrine from the Word of God and I'm trying my very best to live out what God has, has, has put in my heart and life and, and my life, the things that used to be unpure in my life are going to start becoming pure. Not, not that sin is made pure, not at all, but I'm saying the lifestyle in which I now live, if I claim to be pure, is going to be looking pure in my life. It's almost like the, the fruit-bearing kind of thing. If I say that I'm an apple tree and I, I'm born again and I'm an apple tree, I'm going to begin to produce fruit that looks like an apple. But he said if you're undefiled, you can claim whatever you want to claim. I can tell you all day that I'm an apple tree, but in, in reality I'm a running briar and, and I'm just you know like a poison ivy or something. And at the end of the day, I can't produce the fruit that is required of an apple tree. That's what he's saying here. You can tell what they are. If they're pure, their lifestyle will reflect them being pure. But if they're defiled, they will also be reflected in their lifestyle and how they live and how they live and how they, where, they, where they go, what they do. Their character will begin to show where they really are. To have evidence that your faith is real. How I live is a direct reflection of what I really believe. I don't care what you say you believe. I don't care what you tell other people you believe, but what you really believe is a directly reflected by the way that you live out your life. I can tell you that I'm a Christian. I can tell you this or that all day, and if it doesn't work out in my life, it doesn't work. If my life is pure, the things that come out of my mind, my mouth, my heart, my emotions will all begin to become pure like, and be changed by the Word of God. We should see people. We should not see people, and it breaks my heart to see people put stuff on social media. I don't know how people got so honest on social media, to be honest with you. They'll put stuff on social media they wouldn't dare tell you in person. They'll put stuff on social media that you had no idea they were even into, and they'll put it on there. Now, I'm not against all social media. In fact, we're using social media this morning, and I'm glad we were able to use it. But you should not see people that say they belong to Christ, Jesus Christ, then put something on social media that's either inappropriate or all right out sinful. And you've seen it, I've seen it. Somebody will claim to be a Christian, have a, a Bible verse or something on there, and a couple of days later they'll have some video that they're promoting that has curse words in it or somebody that's dressed improperly or whatever it is. We should be consistent in their Christian life, and that's what he's saying here. When these people get on the foundational doctrine to the truths of the Word of God, it will begin to make a difference, a practical difference in the way they live. Sound, doctrines mean, sound doctrine means having, or sound in the faith means having the character of God inside of me. And if I have the character of God inside of me, it will begin to work its way out. The Bible says to work out your own salvation. It's not talking about working your way to heaven. It's talking about what's on the inside begins to show forth on the outside. You know, if I, if I really believe that God can clean my vocabulary up, you know, I'll stop saying that stuff, don't you think? And if God's really got a hold of my heart, my vocabulary is going to change. If God's really got a hold of my heart, you know, some of the things I used to listen to is going to change. If God's really got a hold of my heart, I'm not going to have a whole lot of skin showing where I used to. That God's got a hold of my heart and things have changed on the inside and it's making a difference on the outside. It shows up on the outside. I should, sound faith means having the character of God inside of me showing forth out. Let me end with an illustration. I'll, I'll finish with this, and I know I've went a little bit long today. How many of you have ever seen the moon? That's a dumb question, right? Everybody here has seen the moon. You've seen the moon. If you, don't, if you haven't seen the moon lately, 
I'm talking about, I know you've seen it sometime or another in your life. If you haven't seen it lately, go out tonight after the sun goes down and look at the moon. I want you to think about this as you see the moon. Now, in the wintertime, it seems to be, I don't know, closer to the earth. I don't know about the rotations. I didn't study all that stuff out. But sometimes it's, it's brighter, bigger, fuller than it is in other times of the year. And, of course, it goes through rotations. We know sometimes the moon's like a little smiley face up there, and that's it. And sometimes it's a crescent moon. Sometimes it's a three-quarter moon. Sometimes it's a full moon. We're all familiar with those terms. But the better the moon is in line with the sun, the brighter the reflection you and I will see, not of the moon, but of the sun. Now, we can see the moon. That's what we see. But the light the moon is giving off is not the light that's produced inside the moon. The light the moon is giving off, you guys all know this, is a reflection of the sun. When the earth is not in the way, when it's in, in direct, lined up with the sun, and it's, it's outside of the, the realm of the earth being in the way, it shines full and bright to us, and we see the light of the moon, and it can actually, on the full moon, light up some places where we can actually see a little bit. The same thing is true in the Christian life. The better I'm in line with God, the better I got the world out of the way where the world's not in my way, where I can reflect the, the, the full glory of God in my life, the way I live and the way I act and the things that I do, and I begin to show forth that light, not the light that's in me. I don't have anything in me that people want to have or see or be around. But, oh, friend, if I have the light of God in my life, if I can just reflect the light of God purely, truly, brightly to those around me, that's what they need to see. The moon's not going to help us one bit if the earth is stopped. You know, the, the eclipse doesn't help anybody. Nobody can see the eclipse. But if I get the world out of the way, man, I can really shine for God. My friend, that's what God wants us to do today, to get the world out of the way. What he was telling Titus is you have a lot of world and worldly thinking, worldly emotions, worldly um, vocabulary, uh, being politically correct or being bowing down to this culture or that culture or this vocabulary or that vocabulary and doing this or that. And he said, you got so much of the world in the way, you can't shine forth the light of God so people can see you. My friend, I want to ask you this morning in closing, are you living your life based on sound doctrine? There is a standard. Now, whether we want to follow it or not, there, there is a standard. Now, next week, we're going to get into chapter 2, and this week, we've talked about people adding to the gospel, you know, people putting more stuff on that you have to do in order to be saved. Next week, we're going to talk about people that don't do enough to get saved. You have license to see them do whatever. But my friend, are you and I accurately standing on sound doctrine in our life? Am I accurately reflecting the sun back to a lost and dying world? Not that the world's in the way, and I got so much world in me, they can't tell the difference in me than somebody else. They see no difference in my life, but I want to be able to reflect the light of the sun, S-O-N, back to a lost and dying world. I pray that you will too. I pray this was a help to you this morning, and let's uh, bow our heads for prayer this morning. Thank you for taking time to listen today. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider sharing it with your loved ones. Additionally, you can contact us by using the information provided in this episode's description. We hope that you'll visit us again soon. May God bless you.